0: Howdy, I'm Gene Haas. You join me here as I prepare for our entry into the 2016 Formulation One World Series. To do this, I've been talking to some of the greatest American drivers ever to grace God's great earth. I'm talking about fine men like Dario From Kitty from Scotchland, Nico Hulkenberg from Germanyland, and Helio Castro from Braziloland. That's right, my friends. I will stop at nothing to avoid putting the spawn of Michael Andretti in my car. Eeehaw! Yeah! Hello, he's Zog. Hello. He's Richard. Hello. And I'm Gareth Jones. This is On Speed, and I noticed something recently. I was on holiday down in Dorset, and we were camping near Corfe Castle. I'll talk more about that later in the show. Near Corfe Castle, and one of the biggest towns, not a very big town, near Corfe Castle is Wareham, and I was astonished to find in Wareham an MG dealership. Wow. I haven't seen an MG dealership anywhere for a very long time and I was kind of tickled I'm wondering why are they in Wareham you know what's the demographic here why would MG be in Wareham and I did a bit of a scan on the MG website and they've got quite a few dealerships around the country I thought they only had like four or five but there must be 20 or 25 I think there's more than that
1: yeah every so often if you read their bump they're always talking about they sort of a target to put on more dealers this year and they'll say this year we're going to be recruiting X number of dealers and, and yet the number of dealers I think it sort of hovers around about 50 because I think for every one they recruit they seem to lose another one there was ah. one around the corner hmm. from me Which was weird because it was sort of part of what was ostensibly a big second-hand car garage which had suddenly taken on a new car franchise in a half-hearted way and then clearly gave up because the signs disappeared. And now, do you know where they have just put a dealer?
0: I bet it starts with a
1: W. London. Is it,
2: is, um, is it Central London? Yeah, Piccadilly. Is it, is it, I, was, I was going to say Piccadilly because uh-huh, on, yeah. as I drove over here, I happened to take a route through Central London mm. and as I was driving on Piccadilly, looked to my left, oh, there's an MG showroom.
1: Mm. Well, now, I don't know that you can actually go in there and buy a car.
2: They do have a couple of cars in there, but I yeah. didn't get out to try and buy They'd them. They'd
1: really have dropped the ball if there were no cars at all. It was like, here's our flagship MG showroom, but it's so exclusive there are no cars It's in just
2: there. like an so advertising holding. They put, yes, it's basically yeah. sort of, you know,
1: and I think yeah. you can go in and you can learn learn about the cars but if you actually go right I'll take that one they'll go no no no, you can't you must go to your local MG show which unfortunately Mm. is in Ipswich because we don't have any other ones in London
0: and let me ask Zog Zog what was your emotional reaction to seeing an MG dealership
2: immediately it was a little bit sort of oh I was happy to see it there but then sort of kind of wondered what it was doing in the sense that Piccadilly is fairly upmarket posh shopping street location and the MG brand it's not so Much of an upmarket brand, really. How do you feel about MG though? I guess I feel a little unsure about them. I feel quite a strong sense of attachment to MG because I used to own one and I loved it. I can't honestly say that it was the best car I've ever owned. It certainly wasn't, (laughs) and it was far from the most reliable car I've ever owned.
1: Yeah. Um, Wait, was this the car that you left for a while and someone else took ownership of it? Yes. The, the one, one that that I stole back a year, a year later <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
0: That, that's the one Richard yeah. ask you the same question what, what's your emotional response to MG these days oh
1: god how long have you got see I don't like MGB's and things like that, your old school MGs, but then perversely, if I saw an immaculate MG Montego, I'd be very intrigued by that. Which is, I think you'd argue, it's not a proper MG, it's just an MG badge on an Austin.
2: See, I think it is a bit perverse to prefer an MG Montego to an MGB. I, I think know. well, no, I'm
0: going to stick with that. Well, afraid, not, not, then, the, not that you're at the red seatbelts belt on the MG the Metro Turbo, yeah,
1: I'd like a I like an MG Metro Turbo, but then also, <laughs> i take what I do like, and again, they were flawed, but I always liked them as an MGF and an MGTF, which I yeah. think yeah. Were more uh, yeah, they yeah, almost yeah. were oh, yeah. proper MGs, yeah. so as much as they were sports cars, even though they were kind of engineered by Rover people. but How do you feel about them now? Well, I'm torn, because I like the continuity of the fact that they do some of their engineering still at Longbridge. Longbridge but yeah. it's a Chinese-owned company making cars for China. I don't know what they're doing in this country, whether they really want to sell cars. They sell a handful of cars. I and mean, I think their engineering and design centre here is purely to give them something to sell in China, saying, hey, look, these are authentically British cars. Because they're designed because in they're Britain. I mean, also the yeah. engineering thing is a bit of bunkum, really. I think they've got something like 400 engineers in Longbridge, and they've got about 2,000 in China. So you know, the donkey work is actually done in China, but using some of the experience in Britain, and it's people left over from the old MG Rover days mm-hmm. to some extent. And there's a great deal of expertise there. But I don't know. I mean, it just feels a little bit like it's the carcass of what was once a huge car company, which was once you know British Leyland before that, Austin and Morris and all that. And this is just the sort of dog endy bits of the Christmas turkey that you make soup with.
2: Well, yeah, which are kind of being used to add a little bit of extra something to the rather bland, unattractive Chinese car industry as it is seen by a lot of the rest of the world but if you you
1: look at the figures of how many cars they're selling in china it's not many i can't understand how that company because they're owned by saic who's Mm -hmm. a much bigger company i can't understand how saic can justify mg continuing because they're not selling very many in china they're selling almost none in britain and it's not surprised because they haven't got a very big dealer network, and people don't know. I was driving the MG three, the little hatchback. We which, saw that. Were well, you quite like that? Yeah, liked it. I, I thought it was a perfectly good car. And quite honestly, for the money, I would seriously think about it if I wanted to buy a brand new little, slightly sporty hatchback for less than ten grand. Which, you know, you can't get much for less than 10 grand these days, mm. apart from, you know, Dacia and stuff. So uh, I thought it was, it was an honest and decent little car. And I was driving it on the North Circular Road in London and in some traffic. And a bloke wound on the window of his Audi and went, Oi, mate, I thought MG had gone. And I went, No, they're back. Um, oh. you know, and are on to your heart. And it's like, nobody knows this. I mean, to mm. so the point of. I've been driving the, the facelifted MG6 last week. And. That's well. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But the point is that when every time I said to someone, people go, oh, "What are you driving at the moment?" I go, oh, "I've got an MG." And like one of my mates went, "Oh, nice, sporty. What is it? Soft top?" And I went, "No, it's a five door hatchback." And he went, "Oh." And my wife went, "Where's this MG you've got?" Well, oh, she seemed as the she key was looking for a yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she yeah, went, yeah. "Where's this MG you've got?" And I went, "It's just down there." Mm-hmm. and She went, "Which what?" Well, it's a grey hatchback. And she went. Oh, you know, it's oh, just, yeah. it's just, well, uh,
0: it's going to befuddle your wife and that bloke you met on the North Circular even. We stayed more. in touch as
1: well. So. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Lovely chat In future, because the MGGS is coming, which is a sort of a I think cash guy yeah, yeah. sized crossover hatchy four by four thing.
1: That's I got, saw one when I was in Shanghai the other week. Uh, as you are,
0: just
2: yeah, popped, no, popped to to it
1: Shanghai. It's uh, so the afternoon, get, not. Get a couple of things. Uh, and, it's handsome, uh, isn't it? Yeah, it's all right looking. It's a bit generic, but it's got some quite nice details to it. I took a picture of it because I'm a deeply, deeply boring man, and uh, it's all right, but it's just late. It's late to the party. It's yeah. already out in China. It's not coming out here till next year. Yeah, They'll have sold another billion cash kais by then, mm-hmm. and Mazda CX5s and things, which, funny enough, that's a great car. You don't really see those around. And Mazda have got more dealers than MG, so. You yeah. know, Keith so who's Adams,
0: who runs AR online. Know, yes, of course Keith. you yes, do. Yes. I read a lovely piece that he wrote the other day. Weighing up which car he's more passionate about, the MG GS, which is this new Qashqai thing, or the actual Nissan Qashqai, which is designed, engineered, and built in the UK by a good old British workforce. Hmm. And he was really being very honest about how he felt emotionally about the MG. And he's like, well, I kind of like an underdog being British. And I know it's not really MG, but part of me wants it to do well I love the Qashqai that's a real British car and I'm right behind that because I love British that's really what AR Online is all about you know Mm. the British motor industry and I thought it was a brilliant zeitgeist piece where he's identified something. Which is why I was asking about your emotional response to the MG dealership. Whereby, although we all know it's not really the MG that we supported as buyers and mm-hmm. as fans as kids, but we do we, we kinda of, kind of want to, to see the
2: DNA well. still you yeah. know, still mm. there. We want but to it's weird, isn't it?
1: Because <laughs> it sort of feels like there's no continuity <laughs> of the DNA. Mm. I mean that's the bit that I sort of cling to is the fact that there is some continuity with and uh, not MG as such, but certainly sort of wider, if you like, British Leyland remnants, because they still have that place at Longbridge, which was the old Austin factory. And and there's still people who work there, who were there at MG Rover and Rover before that. And so there's sort of some continuity there, but also at the same time, it feels like there isn't really, that they could plaster any old name on those cars. And they're just using the MG badge as sort of of, some kind of animated corpse to try and sell cars. And it doesn't seem to be working, which is the saddest part of all, because I think maybe I accidentally discovered this when everybody expected the MG I borrowed to be a sports car Mm -hmm. but I think that's what people Mm -hmm. associate MGs with even though MG historians will always tell you they sold more four door saloons even in the days of sports cars because you know the magnets and things like that that, of course yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then sort of badge engineered 1100 and yeah my my mother had one yeah Mm -hmm. so there were a lot you know there were a lot and of course you go to the Montego Maestro era and they sold fair few of those and they weren't selling sports cars at all then so actually statistically MG have sold more four doors probably than they have Roadsters, but that's not the point. They're associated mm. forever yeah. with affordable roadsters, and well, they don't and, make one anymore.
2: And I think that's why Saic bought them in the end because they yeah. want, they wanted to have that little bit of extra, sort of, you know, they wanted that little bit of sheen, that little bit of yeah. you know, special sauce.
0: But that works for us
2: because we're old
0: enough to remember those cars. My son Tycho doesn't really know anything about MG at all. And we were following an MG6 in Coventry, the other day driving around Coventry. I felt it was ironic seeing an MG driving around the heartland of the British motor industry, you know. And he goes, what's that? Oh, it's an MG, I pointed out. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. What is it?
0: Mm. (laughs) And he knows his cars. Mm. Tycho knows his cars. He's grown up in this house with me. And he's 15 now. In a few years when he's buying cars... MG will mean whatever it is SAIC want MG to mean. And I think that's what they're hoping for.
1: I can't work out what they're doing. And I don't know whether they don't know what they're doing or if there's some fiendish plan or if it's all some kind of grand tax write-off. I I just can't figure it out. And I can't figure out why they've opened that showroom in Piccadilly, you know, when they haven't got actual dealers that sell cars in more high streets in the world. But I guess it's down to money as much as anything, how much you're prepared to invest. It's incredibly Mm. expensive to Mm. set up a car dealer chain, even if you're piggybacking off existing mm -hmm. dealers. You know, I think what MG have been doing is going to small family-run dealerships who maybe have already got a franchise for somebody else who's a smaller player, like i don't know proton or mm-hmm. somebody and mm-hmm. or, or, i was gonna say di- yeah i was <laughs> gonna say Dihatsu, but they've long gone um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and they're doing it that way but it just seems like there's not enough sort of oomph behind it
2: the dealership in central london like that you would think you would do that if you're trying to either you know raise your profile significantly or raise the kind of perceived value of your brand yeah you know yeah. um I'm, I'm not sure which of those it is Do you know what? I don't think they are either. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But whether it's by design
0: or by accident, part of me actually wishes them well.
1: Well, yeah, perversely me too. I'll tell you in a minute about the MG6.
0: Welcome to authentic British MG Engineering Centre in Birmingham where we of the SAIC Vehicle Making Concern authentically engineer our authentically British cars in a most authentic manner. This is why I cannot speak to you anymore, as I am now on strike. Step petrol with Gareth Jones on Speed! I think i'm going to start every part of this particular program talking about what i noticed while i was driving around on holiday this year because the other thing i noticed was how many jaguar f types are on the road have you noticed a lot of them on the road i went down to dorset when was it in july Tycho and i counted 14 or 15 f types in one what four hour drive that's a lot of f types isn't it a yeah a lot of F
1: types. Out of interest, were they the coupes or the convertibles?
0: I would say it was a 70 30 mix in favour of the coupe. Mm. My favourite one was a green one, of course, driven by an old lady who must have been in her very late 80s. Oh,
1: wonderful. Good
0: for her. <laughs> and all lippied up. She looked really glamorous. She was really old, driving this green F-Type. Bet she just stole it. Yeah. She... That's the... <laughs> <laughs> See, not all criminals and youngsters, are they, with the hats on backwards? I felt proud for the British Empire in that one moment. Uh, Jaguar Land Rover must be doing really well at the moment, because if you're selling that number of quite expensive cars, because the F-Type's an expensive car, isn't mm. it? Then, you know, they're reaping the rewards, aren't they? Good old Jaguar Land Rover. Anyway, so Staying with the theme of British cars, which aren't necessarily British anymore, because... Jaguar Land Rover, of course, is an Indian car company.
1: Yes, but the cars are engineered and yeah. designed in Britain and built in Britain. Apart from, from in a few years when Land Rover just announced they're going to open a factory in Slovakia.
0: I know. Who else is in Slovakia? Uh, Kia. Skoda built there. There's a VW plant there. Uh, the tone was built in Slovakia, wasn't it? No, that? Germany.
1: But the uh, Kia Dresden. Seed is made in... Uh, yes, Dresden. Yeah, yeah. In, of course. In that big glass factory that also, I think, makes the shells for the Bentley. continental. But yes, yeah, Slovakia—the biggest factory there, I think, is Kia. In the region where I think Jag Land are going, it's the sort of hot place to build a car factory at the moment because uh, cheap well, labour. Well, Central
0: Europe can be very hot in summer. It's lovely.
1: Oh yes, we were in Croatia. <laughs> uh, people in <laughs> Islington and particularly the people who made the breakthrough like Skoda and Kia as yeah. so once you get big players like that around then you get the supplier skill base sets, and the yeah. skill set and, yeah. and it becomes very attractive to move there and yeah Land Rover are the next ones to build a factory there Land,
0: so, Land Rover built cars all over the place for years the Land Rover Santana was knocked out kit built in Spain in the 70s if I remember I think yeah but even a bit before that and there was um, Africa they were doing it in Belgium as well Austin used to build cars in Belgium if I remember yes. the Allegro was built over there wasn't it Senef or- yes and minis, or, minis and all sorts. Yeah yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Sorry, we go up. They, they used to get right-hand drive Allegro's from the senef plant when the UK plants were on strike. And in fact... British Lane managers who are entitled to an Allegro company car would sometimes, if they could, get one from the Belgian factory because they would believe it was slightly better made. Real. I'll shut up
0: No, I love that. Yeah, that's that good. Was beautiful. I like there it. was absolutely no one left listening. Good. <laughs> do you remember, I must have mentioned this in the program. There was an advert, do you remember this, uh, in the 80s? A French gentleman who said, I think he said, this Austin Allegro is the best foreign car I've ever owned. And uh, presumably, he wasn't talking about one built in mainland Europe, but a <laughs> British one. Do you remember the answer? No, uh, no. Okay, okay. Tell us about the MG Six that you've been uh, driving. Speaking
1: everywhere. of cars made abroad, yes, yeah, yeah. So they facelifted the MG Six and put some new bumpers on it, changed the lights slightly. It's quite a smart looking thing. One of the things I noticed about it, the one that I had was grey, which is you know pretty uninspiring colour. In fact, all the colours are fairly flat. There's only you're going to get like four colours. I think there's a red we saw right, but otherwise like white and grey. This is what I mean. I can't stand what MG are doing. It's almost like they're sort of willfully shooting themselves in the foot. So you can now only have that car as a diesel. They've got rid of the petrol engine. Really? You can have it in fewer colours than it came in before the facelift. And they've reduced the size of the wheels by an inch. Hey. Uh, because uh, I think uh, to make it more efficient, supposedly. And all the wheels now across the range, there are three trim levels. And no matter what trim level you get, it has the same alloy wheels on it. And they just look a bit small for the body. Uh, and I just think, why have you done that? Why not at least make it an option ...to have a bigger wheel... ...they used to be quite attractive... ...17 inch wheels on the old... ...top of the range one... Mm. ...why not keep those hanging around... ...even as an option... People who want their cars to look a bit nicer and prepared to take a hit on the CO2 figure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, I just don't. I don't well, it's not like they're, they're going to
0: have a corporate average fuel economy problem with a car. They haven't got a V8, they haven't got a. No, six I mean, they just. Well, let's
1: think they have one engine. They have one. Range. It's a one diesel engine, and you can just have it with a six speed manual gearbox. There's no paddle shift, there's no auto. It's a very simple range. I mean, that's probably part of the problem why they don't sell any cars. Because. Mm, it's not many, you know, the, I mean, the, that Peugeot that you talked about at the last show. The model name is so absurdly long because there are so many different variants. You going, know, it's almost like negotiating a labyrinth trying to get round that Peugeot 308 range or the Skoda Octavia range or the Ford Mondeo range. Yeah. Anything, they're, they're all just baffling in their complexity and the number of engine combos you can have with different gearboxes and trims. And In one way, you'd think, good for MG for simplifying, but on the other hand, it's too simple. There's not mm-hmm. enough choice, I think. Mm-hmm. So the car I borrowed was this sort of nondescript grey colour, but... On the plus side, it, it had, had red seatbelts. No, they did not. I wish oh. it had. you know my Merc's got red seatbelts? Oh, you know I don't They're a bit strident. think about what you wear. <laughs> on, sorry, tell done. me about the MG. What you so, like? this grey paint was not of an unusual depth and shine, I thought. It was a really good finish on it. And it was sort of like, actually, when you looked at it closely, it was like, actually, that's it odd. It's like, it's the most vibrant grey that you could possibly have. But it's still grey. So, it's, a kind it's of a dodgy colour, but yeah. beautifully done. So, not a bad looking car, yeah. but just not very exciting. And, a Course, everybody went, Oh, where's this sports car you've got? No, it's not, it's that hatchback over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the interior is a bit low rent, plastics aren't very good. It just feels a generation out of date. There's some things which are just fundamentally weird mistakes, like the key, it feels like it's got nothing in it. It feels like a display mobile phone from a shop, you know, and it's really weirdly light, lighter than it should be. And the screen over the display that shows you what the climate control readout is appeared to be misty. And I just thought, why is that? And like, it's got this touchscreen. The graphics on the touchscreen are quite nice and quite simple, and it works all the It's quite intuitive. But you can tell the touchscreen's been put in at the facelift because it didn't used to have it. So the screen is sort of not the same shape as the thing around it. Oh, no, and there's a filler. And there's a bit of filler, and oh. it sort of looks like a sort of cheap partition put up in a rented flat. It's just oh. not very nice, and the instruments are a bit Things The <laughs> display between the instruments is really pixely. It's all last generation, and there's got a rear-view camera that comes yeah. up on the screen, as many cars do now but it's incredibly low res and the camera's angled down too far so that anything that is behind you rushes up really quickly from nowhere right, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. these cameras tend to be very wide angle so you can see from afar what's coming up but this one no it's just something like oh I think I've got loads of room re- oh my god there's a car
0: it's just bizarre there's a TV coming oh, oh it's you're driving an weird MG weird
1: elementary mistakes and it's quite hard to pull away cleanly and therefore quite easy to stall it relative to a lot of modern cars and if you don't change down as you come up with some traffic lights it drops below about 1000 revs and it just gets a bit judgy In a way that cars used to and they don't anymore. So it sort of has this feeling of either being out of date or not finished. Mm. That's right, it's proper MG values. Well, exactly, it almost is. (laughs) So I've I've worked this out because this is the thing there is one thing about that car, however, which I thought was absolutely fantastic and I was blown away by how subtle and yet excellent it was, and that is the chassis. It's got a tremendously good chassis. Really? It's one of those cars, it's not sort of overtly sporting. The ride is quite firm, but not uncomfortable. So you don't sort of think, oh, this is some kind of sports car. In the way you do those sort of S-line Audis where they're incredibly hard oh. for no reason because mm. they're going, look how sporty I am. Mean, it's, sort of, mm. it's sportiness for idiots because it's not mm. really sporty. You know, it still yeah. rolls and it doesn't... So not, Lotus didn't do it, did they? No, I think, it's, I think that's the thing. I, I believe that most of the sort of able people from MG Rover probably went or tried to go to Jaguar Landry because in the time of uncertainty when rover went down what were you going to do try and get a job and jack Rover had desperately been hiring engineers and still mm. are so if you're at half decent there's a job just down the road in gaydon or whitley or Solihull, or wherever mm. but i think they've managed to keep some sort of die hard people at longbridge and if you think about some of the cars they did in the past those mgs they did latterly the zt and the zr and zs they all were great handling cars mm actually you know the MGTF wasn't a bad handling car no Uh, for For a metro going backwards (laughs) exactly and with that in mind it was particularly impressive
2: it sounds like overall a bit cheap bit shoddy but they've done the most important bits properly so yeah i don't know the engine
1: calibration could have been better the gear change is quite nice and slick so yes i suppose so it sort of feels like it was done by people who really do like driving and and in in quite a subtle way because Mm -hmm. the, the temptation i think would be that a lot of cars you think the engineers love driving, but the marketing department outrank them mm-hmm. and go, no, make it a bit stiffer so it feels sporty. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, yeah, but this has got... No, no, it must feel sporty. Mm-hmm. Not be actually mm-hmm. a good chassis, a sporty chassis. And you get this sort of depressing sense that marketing outranks everyone else. And this, I don't know whether they have a marketing does, yeah. department at MG because I suspect otherwise not. Otherwise, they'd sell the cars better. But what they yeah. do seem to have is still some very talented engineers. It's hard to describe how good the chassis is. It's just it's got that sort of if you ever drove an 80s or 90s Peugeot when they had that sort of the only way I can describe it is a sort of fluency to them this mm-hmm. sense that the car is just going with the road 405 mm-hmm. M16 yeah, 205 yeah, yeah. Three 1.9 things. The, but even, even good actually good. just like an ordinary 306s not even yeah. the GTIs because yeah. they had a sort of Supply. quite a supple ride but it's yeah. the way they just flowed with the road yeah. Yeah. there's something else that's wrong with this mean? MG6 as the electric power steering and the assistance is all over the shop but very weird and sometimes it's heavy and then sometimes it's light and it's awfully inconsistent and it's not good and yet the steering itself is very accurate so you can just point it into a bend and then that's it you've chosen your line and you stick with it and i think a lot of cars sometimes you just have to adjust a little bit because there's slack in the system somewhere whether it's the rate of roll mm. or and, and the mm-hmm. way that's taken up by the springs, or mm. whether it's the steering itself is just not quite allowing you to position the car where you thought you were going. Mm. And this MG, you picked your line, you stuck to it, and then the car just sort of breathed it's with a the confidence-inspired.
2: Yes, knowing, exactly. yeah,
0: yeah. knowing that, knowing so that, you used good. to own a... It was a midget. It was about, a midget, yeah. It? midget. Yeah. Why the hell, with that wonderful chassis, why aren't they making a slightly shorter version? Imagine a cheap rival to the MX-5 that was badged in MG... They could do
2: that. You'd have one as an MG... Pre- in principle, one. yeah. I and mean, well, I, mean, I, I, yeah, well, I certainly like the idea in principle of MG doing a cheap roadster. I mean, given that Mazda... You know, well, they had amazing- the TF, didn't they?
1: But they, mm. there's no demand for them in China, so that's why they're not doing it, so I think. And well, I don't I, think they could make a roadster off the MG6 because it's just too big and... It's long, no, I'm sure and, it's completely the wrong platform yeah. to, to, to drive. It. Yeah, yeah oh. it's a shame. But yeah, just to sum up, I thought that MG6 was a genuinely excellent chassis in search of a better car to go around it, but...
2: Oh, hey, well hey. done MG and i tell
0: you time. what they have got right I think their nomenclature is spot on an MG3 and an MG6 it avoids the whole oh is it a B is it a C is it a GF I think choosing numbers mm-hmm. is a smart idea keep it simple yeah. stupid yeah yeah, yeah. Carlos Ghosn, could you confirm the sensational rumours that Renault is to return to Formula 1 next season? Yes, it is perfectly simple. Renault is to buy Lotus and to continue using Mercedes engines. That doesn't sound perfectly simple at all. As you will see, this will be the return to the glory days of Renault in Formula 1. To achieve this, I've already made the call to Fernando Alonso and asked him to drive for us once again. And if that's your plan, will we also see the return of Nelson Piquet Jr.? (laughs) That is not really up to me. You will have to ask our new team manager. Eh, hello, super sexy time, luxury yacht, boobies. Oh, I see. Oh my god, he's humping my leg. Yes, it's probably best just to let him finish. Okay, I failed. I was hoping that every segment of this programme would start with, here's something I noticed while I was on holiday recently, but this isn't. This is the future. You know, we like to talk about the future here on on Speed from time to time, because I think the three of us are futurologists. In some way. In some way,
2: yeah. We yeah. have an interesting future. Yeah, Plus, we, it's
0: where we're going. But yeah, we're stuck with it. It's going to happen. We better think about what's going to happen. And there are two things at the moment which represent the future in terms of cars in a lot of the media's eyes. One is the motorsport side, which I'll come to in the moment. And the other is something which I know is dear to both these two boys' hearts. I'm strictly Android. You're strictly Apple. The Apple car. There's been some minor revelations about the Apple... Do we call it the iCar?
2: Well, we don't know. We can call it Project Titan because we know that it's called Project Titan and we know that they've hired a bunch of Tesla engineers, mm. amongst others. I'd have you a quid
1: on the fact it won't be called the iCar because oh. I think they're moving away from that. Yeah, I, w- the I wouldn't, I wouldn't take isn't the away, watch, it's, Is it? Isn't it's, it? Exactly it's, right, yeah. it's a bit
2: noughties, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The iPhoto app has now become Photos. Yeah, yeah they're moving, yeah, away, yeah, from moving the I away, thing, away from the no Which question.
1: would be interesting how they get around that because everyone calls the iPhone the iPhone, don't they? It's a thing, in it? own right well
2: that's such a strong sort of brand it's they're going to stick with iphone for a long time that's okay anyway. but yeah but as far as the car goes and yeah, yeah we know it's called project titan but it's been a sort of speculative will they won't they are they doing a self-driving car thing but what has just come out as a result of a freedom of information request i think by uh, guardian journalists, they've dug out an email from an engineer at apple's working on the project to somebody at this secure, secretive testing facility for self-driving cars called GoMentum, I think it is, inquiring about when they can book time to do some testing and how they can work around other companies' schedules. So they are looking to book time at this testing facility to test some self-driving cars. Well, And that this is significant. They've obviously been working on something, but it's been a bit vague, and this just makes it a little bit more concrete.
1: It's a test facility, and I think they want to sell themselves as a place where self-driving cars can be tested. I'm not sure there's anything in the paperwork that suggests for certain that the Apple car is... Or an apple car would be self-driving it seems like it's not out of the question but that's not an absolute is it i it's- think
2: you're right that we could be blindsided by a non-self-driving apple vehicle all we know is that apple want to test something mm. they want to test some vehicle there
1: what if it's a red herring what if they're using it to test like drop resistance of a phone on a variety of surfaces. Now, how does it fare when it's dropped on cobbles? Now, what about this stretch well, of road that replicates a Japanese highway? Well, <laughs>
2: speaking of somebody who has driven their own vehicle over their own laptop, I wouldn't what? mind it at all if they were planning to test. The resistance of uh, new generations of <laughs> laptops and phones to being driven over—that's fine by me. It's an increasingly. No, It was very problem. stupid, and I'm not proud of it. But it gave you a chance you, to learn how you, to replace the screen on you, a 17-inch you, titanium.
0: But you've also broken more iPhone screens than anyone I know.
2: I've only broken two or three. Two Come on, or you, you, you must—you must know something broken more than that I think I've been pretty good I'm I'm not I, the I, thing I'm bad I, I, at well, I pouring coffee wood. into laptops
1: because I haven't ever broken an iPhone screen I've now never a broken a phone well, did, I, yeah, did yeah. I tell you about when I got my iPhone my latest phone iPhone 6 and sort of the week after I got it I was walking the dog and I went to go and clear up some dog poo and the phone was in my Ooh. inside pocket of my jacket and mm. slid out mm. into the dog poo well this is the thing no soft landing oh. hit the ground and Ooh. it just damaged the Corner of the thing, it just scuffed oh, the corner okay, yeah. of my brand new phone, and I was thinking if it had fallen just about four inches to the right, it would have landed in the dog poo and it Soft wouldn't landing. have got damaged. But then it would have had dog poo on yeah. it, which would have been worse. Oh.
2: And have you resolved that dilemma? Do you are you clear no. in your own mind? No,
1: which because every time I look at this phone now, I go, oh look, corner scuffed. It's a bit annoying, yeah, but it's not the end scuffed, of the world. You know. But I was thinking, oh, there's some poo in the button. I don't know. Can probably I tell you like what I think
0: about the Apple iCar? That it would be dog poo proof if it drives you dog poo. <laughs> I hope yeah, so. I wrote an article, I think I've shown it to you a while back, it was to be published in a car website, which it hasn't been and I probably won't be now because it's out of date what I wrote, but I suggested that the Apple iCar, as I called it, was more than just a car, it was a kind of an ownership experience which is the sort of thing that you Apple users talk about, where you lease the car, you don't own the car, you lease it but you get a package and with that package comes the ability to use private lanes on the motorway. I suggested in my piece, it was a kind of what if, one of my what if articles the, the Labour government so the Labour Party had won the election and had only managed to do so through an alliance with the Green Party and so there was a lot of pressure for them to deliver green policies and Apple had said oh we've had this great idea we want to introduce the iCar into the UK because it's a small place and we can control our experiment there but what we want to do is electrify an additional lane on the M1 between London and Birmingham because that's how they'd say it and so they would put in an induction charging lane which you would have an electric car with a range of about 50 miles which would get 98% of the population of Britain to the M1 you'd get on the M1 and then for that whole swathe up to Birmingham you wouldn't be using your power you could recharge you'd step off at Birmingham and you've got a 50 mile range either way now that's the sort of thinking I'm expecting from apple Um, a mm left-handed belief different approach
2: well i think there is something in the idea that charging on the go will Mm -hmm. be somewhere in the future I don't think that would be any part of Apple's car proposition. I think that would be adding a whole other layer of technology and a whole other kind of technology into the package that would confuse things, make it more difficult. I'm unconvinced. I need some convincing. I think the opposite. But the thing is, we're not talking about Apple building a car. They're going to partner with somebody that has experience in building things with wheels on, you know. They have definitely been talking to BMW. We know Tim Cook has visited BMW, and they've been talking about Maybe basing something on the i3. Looks like that's not going to happen, but they're still in touch. But there will be some partnership with a manufacturer, probably for any Apple vehicle product. Whether it was an Apple branded version of an existing vehicle or whether it be something that was manufactured for Apple produced by bmw or somebody else or whether it's an apple technology package as an option for a particular vehicle
0: an upgrade if you like
2: what apple are very good at arguably above all else is getting the user experience right Mm -hmm. this is really why their products are so successful it's not just that they are glossy and beautiful which they are it's that the user experience is a good one and they are obsessive and they are very good at getting the user experience right, which is why there is so much loyalty to Apple products. And so, where I think they will potentially have an opportunity is that cars are becoming much more connected, much more technological to an extent sometimes that people find a little baffling, and mm. difficult to deal with. It's becoming um, a bigger aspect of a car isn't it? How many times have you driven a car and thought it was great but the infotainment system was rubbish and it does skew your view of the car. Yeah and increasingly cars are going to communicate with one another and they're going to be streaming media and they're going to be communicating with other vehicles, they're going to be communicating with networks of one kind or another within cities so that they can pick better routes so that traffic flow in cities can be optimised. This isn't going to happen in six months time or twelve months time but you know. know. In years to come, this will increasingly happen. And this is an area of technology that I'm sure Apple don't want to not be involved they want to be in that area so that's a bit of a ramble but
0: no know. I take your point I'm not a big Apple fan I don't disrespect what they do or anything I just don't buy into the cult of Apple and that's why I don't do it because as Kevin Rowland said whatever it is you think I am I am not and I subscribe to that I'm just being awkward mm, and I it's know so I am
2: lovely in here
0: <laughs> <laughs> but what I do think is that Apple innovate the success of the Macintosh computer and I say Macintosh because that was what it was in its period Correct, was the yep. fact that you could do stuff on that that you could. Do on a PC, and the success of the iPhone is that you can do stuff on that that you couldn't do on a Nokia or an Ericsson at the time. Well, yeah, I mean, well, the whole I'm GPS not. thing. See, I'm going to disagree think... with that because what I
1: think is Apple don't innovate, they just refine. I think everything the iPhone was capable of doing, you could get somewhere else, but it was just all a bit janky and a bit hopeless. And what they did is they, as the dog was saying, they refined the user experience. So it was all just very easy to use. You didn't to be a computer programmer. I disagree.
0: I disagree. No, I no, don't no, think what? there was a phone with mapping on it until the iPhone. No, no, the matter, the no iPhone But, didn't but it, it
2: first, didn't you know? come out with mapping. When the first iPhone came out, there was no GPS on it. I didn't even have the first iPhone. It was not even the first generation of I think iPhone. It took it three
1: be... generations to get video as well, which a lot of, yeah. the, of the Nokia phones and stuff had. Well, uh, cause Apple, uh, but because Apple, because they're perfectionists, they didn't want to sort of put up with the first generation of the yeah. technology, the cameras, whatever it was, the, mm. the, or the chips behind them. So they waited till it was a standard they were happy to accept to make it the best experience it could be. I don't think they are an innovative company. Well, I think they uh, are a, a very good refiner of concepts you know the iPad wasn't the first tablet but people Mm. tend to use iPad as a sort of synonym for tablet computer and that dominates that world that it's in they're actually just very good at making things good and and acceptable to the public the
2: iPod was not the first MP3 player Mm. but it was the best one because they just sort of made it it work which is why it was the one that took off and it was why it was the big success I've got it. We'll close the show with having taken
0: on board what you've just said and what you've just said. Zog, you say that Apple are going to draw a synergy, an alliance with a firm who make wheel things and we'll make it
2: successful. Well, I have a caveat there. I would love to see Apple do something like partner with Gordon Murray and do yeah. something with his yeah. ideas about yeah. the kind of car to make and how you make it. He's doing that. I, I, I don't think they will do that. I think it is going to well, be a partnership with a Chrysler. With That, a, that will never happen because his
0: process is called Stream, and they're, they're ditching <laughs> the i thing now, right? But, <laughs> but taking on board what Richard said, you know, taking something and really refining mm. it, right? You know McLaren buggies? not McLaren cars not to be confused the people who make buggies the yummy mummy buggies yeah
2: yeah yeah well they're
0: going to go back right, to the sorry. Mac name aren't they they're not going to make a car they're telling us it it's just going to be a really really good baby buggy the iMac McLaren buggy I know that was poor oh, it's oh, the best yeah. I could do and I'm not them you've been listening to Zog goodbye to Richard goodbye and me Gareth this was On Speed see ya to send us an email see pictures get song lyrics join our Facebook fan site follow us on Twitter or to find out about sponsorship opportunities go to garethjones.tv Gareth Jones On Speed is made in London by Whiz Bang. Gareth Jones On Speed <laughs>